Lord God, we do start this morning by thinking about um, Bob Coleman and the long three and a half, four weeks that he's been through a very painful time. Lord, I pray for healing. Pray that you would calm the inflammation that is going on inside him, the, the burning and the pain, Lord, it's, it's, it's bad. Please, God, please bring relief. Please bring healing. Lord, we know that um, you are with us always and you are the God of comfort. And we do ask for comfort and so thankful to see my brother Ken here. And I just pray for Ken, for comfort through this time that he is in. We thank you, Lord, so much for Sandy. And we just ask that you would be with this family. Lord, I look at this list of people here and I am encouraged. I'm thankful for the students that gave of their time to work with the VBS video. Lord, we're thankful for Carly and for the, the years we've had here with her. And now as she's getting ready to step into a new part of life, moving down south, Lord, I just pray that you would bless her and that you would keep her. May she always seek you. May she always be in your favor, Lord, and may she always be yours. Lord, we are thankful that Kaya is with us, and the adventure that she is on is one that we are just so proud of. I pray that she would very much keep you at the very center of all that, all that is swirling around here, even when she's jumping out of airplanes and doing crazy stuff. Lord, God bless her. We're thankful, Lord, for life and for family, and, and God, it is different when your kids get to an age when they start driving and they start graduating, and Lord, for all of us middle-aged type folks that are trying to come to grasp um, with what it means that our, our children are becoming adults, Lord, we give them to you. We give them to you, and we pray for them, give them strength. God, we do pray for Dom. We, we pray for continued safety on the track. And we'll, Lord, what a, what a cool opportunity he has to be excelling so much. Please just, Lord, continue to have, let him be a shining example for what it means to be a Christian athlete. And of course, Lord, we pray for Chris and his MS and everything that goes with that, Lord. In all of these things, God, we recognize that you truly are God. We know that there are others on our list that need our touch, that needs your touch, Lord, and our prayers. Think about Gordon Moeller as he recovers. Think about Dorothy Vogie's grandson, Andy, as he is uh, being faced with considerable decisions about the cancer that is in his abdomen. Lord, we need you. We give you praise. Be with us, Lord God. Guide our every step. In Jesus' name, amen. And I have to share two um, text messages I've gotten from those that are not with us. Mary Ward says, Thanksgiving praise to our church family for all the prayers that went up for us this past week. Bill is doing well, and we were able to be at our grandson Jacob's wedding to witness Kaylee and Jacob give testimony to their, to their love for God and one another. Thank you. So yes, Bill Ward, 
It's amazing. Had his valve replaced in his heart, and two days later was in Wisconsin at his grandson's wedding. Truly amazing. And then one more request. Please pray for my friend Delilah, who is battling not only one cancer, but two different cancers. Thank you. So keep Delilah in your prayers as well. Well, I stand up here today surrounded by beautiful flowers. Flowers from Sandy's memorial service, Sandy Ashbaugh. That was just a few short days ago. It was a good day. It was a day that was full of both grief, but I think more so celebration. A day with hugs and laughter and eating together and being reminded of all that life is, including the end of life. It was a meaningful day. Before Sandy passed away, I had the opportunity to sit with Ken and Sandy and ask her if she would be okay with me sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, as part of my message on that day. She consented. And it is my hope that my sermon from just a few days ago confronted people with the life-saving message of Jesus Christ. Death confronts us with what life is really about, doesn't it? There are so many people clamoring for our attention. There are so many things that pull us away, either this way or that way or whichever way. It is easy, in fact, you might even say natural, for us to think about anything and everything other than death. And so, that is precisely what most people do. They think about everything and everything except death. Their lives are consumed with, well, consuming. (laughs) They are living for this moment as if that future moment in their own lives somehow doesn't exist. Isn't that strange? As if somehow they'll be the one that beats the odds and and somehow they avoid death. Do you know what the odds of death are? 100%. Unless you're Enoch or Elijah. Anybody Enoch or Elijah in here? Nope, that means 100%. 100%. 100% chance of death. Do you know we have good news to share? Now, up till now, that doesn't sound like real good news, but I'm telling you, we've got good news. Because in the middle of that 100% chance of death, I can tell you how you can have a 100% chance of eternal life. Did you hear that? 
The good news of Jesus is that we can have eternal life with God. God offers us this gift, this gift of eternal life. A gift cannot be earned. It must be accepted, however. You see, this gift, it's like all true gifts. All gifts, if it's a true gift, can be refused. Do you see that? Even if someone offers you a gift, you always have the right to say, no thank you. At funerals, this reality is in many ways more real than during regular parts of life. And yet, later in the afternoon, when all the people had left the church, when we were done at the graveside, when everybody had left, and there's that moment that pastors know, only pastors know this, that do this. There's a moment that happens late in the afternoon after a morning funeral when everything is quiet at the church. And in that moment, as a pastor, sitting there, exhausted, right, Mark? Sitting there, hardly able to think straight after all that has just happened and all of the chaos that just was, there's that moment when the thought crosses my mind. Did anybody even hear the message? Did anyone really take that moment of good news and put it right there? Was I, was I just wasting my breath? Because it feels like that sometimes. And in that moment, when all was quiet, I wondered, did it matter? Or was I just another preacher joining on to people who just wanted to get to lunch? Hmm. Lord, as we open up your word, it's with expectation, Holy Spirit, that you will speak through your word to us. God, it's got to be you. It can't be me. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Well, for the past two Sundays, we've studied two four-letter words, haven't we? Hope and wait. Powerful words, words that are pregnant with meaning. We are to be a people of hope, people whose hope is so bright that others literally see it in us. We've looked at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And we also learned last week that the word hope and the word wait are... The same word in Hebrew. They're the same Hebrew word, kavah, which means both hope and wait. It's the moment of tension or stretching that occurs when a rope is pulled tight. The disciples certainly understood what it meant to hope and to wait upon the Lord. Remember, right before Jesus ascended into heaven, He told them to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, we read, On one occasion while he was eating with them, that's Jesus, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my Father promised, 
which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so they waited. Do you remember how long they waited? Ten days. It wasn't too long. Ten days. And while they waited, if you read in, at the end of Acts chapter 1, they actually picked one new disciple. It's kind of a fun story. Um, they picked the disciple to replace Judas Iscariot, who had betrayed Jesus. Can I, can I just do a little fun fact here? This, I, I thought this, was, this makes me smile. As a pastor, this makes me smile a little bit. Do you know when they, the, the new Messiah, that they, they, they drew straws, or they, they, drew, they cast lots, so they, they basically rolled a die. They prayed and they, they rolled a die. But I think it's great because they did this before they received the Holy Spirit. I've always wondered, did Matthias ever think he was like like, like three-quarters disciple? <laughs> I don't know. That's just me. That's just a little... Sorry. Well, finally, after waiting ten days, the Holy Spirit arrived. Today, today is Pentecost Sunday. So on the church calendar, today is the day, and this, this actually matches up with the actual time the actual timeline of the whole thing. Today is literally the day. We are 50 days past Passover today. So the disciples, they were with Jesus for 40 days, then they were alone for 10 days, and now today is the day when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples. This is the day. We are celebrating this day today, and it matches. I want to read the story to you. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. Now, I've preached on this passage of Scripture before, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I want to get to the next section. But just imagine, will you, what an amazing moment that must have been. Remember, this was the gift that Jesus had promised them 10 days earlier. Now, here's an interesting thought. Do you think that any of the disciples expected the gift of the Holy Spirit to look like that? Think about that for a second. Like, we just assume, yeah, that's the gift of the Holy Spirit. The disciples, do you think, well... I bet when we get the Holy Spirit, we're going to talk in a bunch of different languages. I think they had no idea. I think, where's even the precedent for this in the Old Testament? Maybe the talking donkey. (laughs) 
I mean, well, where's the precedent for like people speaking and like coming, a different language coming out? Where's the precedent for that? It doesn't exist. And yet, that's what happened. And do you think that they expected a violent wind? Do you, do you think they expected fire to come from heaven and like go on their heads? The disciples, I think, would never have expected any of those things to happen. It was just all new, all exciting. And then they started to speak in languages. And by the way, they weren't being very quiet. It's not the sound, I, if you read this carefully, I don't think it's the sound of the violent wind that drew the crowd. It was the sound of them talking. They were making so much noise, speaking in languages that they didn't know, that a crowd gathered. And by the way, this is not a small crowd. We're going to learn later, it was at least 3,000 people. Did, did you hear that? Like, this isn't a small crowd. Like, this is a, a mob. Well, it wasn't a violent mob, but it was a, it was a big group of people, right? And they, they came, and they were all in Jerusalem, and they came, and this huge crowd gathered because these, maybe it was just the 12, but it was probably about the 120 that was gathered in that room, were speaking and making a commotion so loud that thousands of people gathered. Obviously, something amazing was happening, something special, maybe something supernatural. And most of the crowd recognized that something special was happening. Verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Oh, but even in this moment, imagine the craziness of that moment. Imagine, what, three, four, five thousand people coming together, hearing a group of people going bonkers, saying everybody could understand them in their own language. Imagine that scene, and still a group in the crowd thought that they were just drunk. Still, a group in the crowd thought they were just drunk. Isn't that mind-blowing? It's amazing to me, and I have noticed this on many occasions. You can be sitting next to someone that is experiencing a spiritual moment when God is speaking to them, and they are caught up in the Spirit. And they are, they are moved by the moving, movement of God in their life. And you can look two people away and they're on their phone. Have you seen that? It happens all the time. One person can be affected by the Spirit and a person next to them has no concept of anything that's going on. And here we have the very first example of that. Amazing. Because some of them, verse 13 Somehow, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. <laughs> That's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. How could these people experience this moment and not recognize that something amazing was happening? But look what Peter does next. Now, what we're going to read next is the first sermon of the church. The first sermon of the church. Now, by the way, take your bulletin out, would you? Take a look at your bulletin. If you look at the today's message, Pentecost Sunday, you'll see a picture of our church, and it says 40 days of purposeful prayer, and then a picture of Bertha. 
This is the same picture that's been in the bulletin for, the, for this entire series that we've been going through on seeking the mind of God for our church. We've just finished our 50 days of purposeful prayer. We've just finished it. Last, yesterday was the last journal entry. We've been meditating on Scripture together, and we have been asking God specific questions together about our own individual callings, as well as our church's mission and calling in this community. May I suggest that this has all been building to this moment, to the reading that I'm about to do of the first sermon by Peter. This first sermon, after receiving the power of the Holy Spirit, so Please listen carefully to the words of Peter. They are as sharp and as powerful now as they were 2,000 years ago. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died. And was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God raised Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of the fact Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, 
The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The, pr- the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them. He pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That was a good sermon. That was a real good sermon. I would have liked to have heard the rest of what Peter and the apostles might have had to say that day, wouldn't you? What a fun day to be around. Amazing. There's so much in this passage of Scripture that as a, as a pastor trying to speak this to you, I don't even hardly know where to begin. But let me just highlight a, just a couple quick things. First of all, just something that I hope will be obvious. Do you know what Peter was doing 52 days before this sermon? He was denouncing that he even knew Jesus Christ. Do you know, this sermon happened in the temple courts, the most public place. The most public place is where this sermon happened. 52 days ago, Peter was denying Jesus. Number two, Peter recognizes that this event of the Holy Spirit coming upon them is one of incredible proportion. In fact, Peter correctly recognized that this is the event that the Jews had been waiting for, literally for generations. This was the moment that all Jewish history had pointed. This moment. And by quoting Joel, that's the first passage he quoted, Joel chapter 2. By quoting Joel to this audience of Jews, Peter was saying, this is the moment when God speaks directly to us. This is the moment. Number three, Peter also recognizes that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to David that one of his descendants would be the king of Israel again. You remember that promise that God made way back in history? That there will always be a member of David's lineage on the throne of Israel. This is the moment when Peter proclaims to these gathered Jews, Jesus is that one. And he quotes Psalms chapter 16. In fact, Peter claims that David himself was speaking about the resurrection of Jesus that Peter had witnessed. Wow. And then number four, Peter also realizes that Jesus has now literally risen to be in the very presence of the right hand of God. And he quotes, what does he quote? You guys should know this one. Psalm 110 verse 1. 
the most quoted verse of Scripture from the Old Testament in the New Testament. Why? Why does he quote that? Because Peter, only 10 days before, had seen Jesus go and do that. He had literally seen Jesus be ascend into heaven. He, he literally saw it. And so he quotes Psalm 110, verse 1. You see, Jesus was the son of David, the Messiah. What does the word Messiah mean? The anointed one, the king, the king anointed by God. But Jesus was more than just the king. Jesus, the Christ, was so much more than the Jews realized he was going to be. He wasn't just king. He wasn't just son of David. He was God. And then verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Lord and Christ. Christ means anointed one. Peter is saying, Jesus is both. He's both. Didn't expect that one, did you? The implication is incredible. Jesus is both our Lord and our King. And Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that had just been poured out on him, in this first sermon, he connects the dots. Do you see it? He connects the dots for those Jews gathered there. Lord and Christ. Not just Christ. And all the while, while he's saying these things, everybody is hearing him speak in their native language. That's not cool, is it? Yeah. And then verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? Peter's message hit them. And Peter's response in verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children who are, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. For with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000! 3,000! Were added to their number that day. 3,000 people asked forgiveness for their sins that day. 3,000 people repented. They turned. They they were going this way and they turned and went that way. 3,000. And my guess is there was a few baptisms that happened that day. Peter said, repent and be baptized. 3,000 people. There were 12 disciples. 250 per disciple. I wonder if there was more in Peter's line than in Matthias's line. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I just, I just, I, I identify with Matthias. I mean, he's just, uh, my line's ready. Can you see him? I can baptize over. I'll just wait. <laughs> what an amazing day. What an amazing beginning. So let me ask you a concluding question. As I mentioned above, I seriously doubt that the disciples had any idea, 
any idea that the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was going to look like that. How could they possibly have thought that? It probably wasn't anything they expected it to be. The disciples had been hoping and waiting for a gift that they had been promised. They had been waiting in tension, hoping in tension, and they didn't know what it was going to be. But here's my question. What did the gift of the Holy Spirit actually do that day? Here it is. Here it is. All of this 50 days of prayerful journaling, I'm not saying that this is all that it, it all came up to, but I think God has brought us together for me to say this next thing as a start to our conversation about what we're going to do with this as a church. The gift of the Holy Spirit on that day enabled the disciples to communicate the gospel. That's what it did. And it's not just the speaking in tongues, is it? It's Peter connecting the dots of everything that was in the Old Testament. All the stuff about the, the, the anointed one. All the stuff about God and how he interacts with us. All of that combined together with the recognition that Jesus is now at God's right hand and he is the King and the Lord. And all of that together, spoken in the language that everybody could understand, the Holy Spirit enabled the communication of the saving message of Jesus Christ. That's what he does. Jesus, Lord and King. Jesus, forgiver of sins. Jesus, who makes meaning of life. And Jesus, who brings meaning to death. 100% chance. New Life Church of God, I want you to know that we have access to this Spirit. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit enables us to communicate the gospel. You don't have to be some fancy seminary-educated pastor-preacher person. As I've been on this 50-day prayer journey with you, I have been hoping and I have been waiting. I have been stretched by the Lord, waiting for Him to speak to me, waiting for Him to speak to us. And He has told me something. It's not complicated. We have a message of good news. More than that, more than just the message, we have the Holy Spirit who gives us the power to communicate the message to a world that doesn't know Him. I have that. You have that. I preached a message of good news at Sandy's funeral days ago. And I felt somewhat discouraged because I wondered if anyone heard it. I look around at our community, at Bertha, at Hewitt, Eagle Bend. I wonder. Does anybody hear it? I wonder, are we just 
another voice in the wind. And then today, I'm reminded that the power of the Holy Spirit exists in this group of people. And that power is a power to communicate the gospel. New Life Church of God, this is what we are here for. There's one. Do you understand that this isn't just me? This is every single one of us. It's not just me. But we must first be willing. We must be pliable in God's hands. We must be willing to get our hearts right with the Lord, and we must be willing to risk rejection. Verse 41 says, Those who accepted his message were baptized. Do you know what that means? Not everyone accepted. Only those who accepted. Even on the first Pentecost Sunday, even with the Holy Spirit flowing in an incredible way in which everybody heard in their own language, even then there were mockers who just said they were drunk, and even then, not everybody accepted. 3,000 did, but not everyone. I refuse to let the enemy of our souls discourage me or us because not everybody comes in. Because not everybody accepts the good news. And so, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command that the enemy has no place in this church and that we would no longer be discouraged by those who don't come in, by those who don't accept, but that instead we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm praying this for us. Holy Spirit, empower us. Give us the ability to communicate this good news to this community that is dying. Fifty days of prayerful purpose, seeking the mind of God for our church. Here's the sermons I've preached to you. Number one, we have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 from four weeks ago, five weeks ago. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Do you remember that sermon? We have the mind of Christ. We can know what God is thinking. And then Jeremiah 29.11. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which we have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. We are here to make Bertha better. And we have hope, a hope that is an, an expectant waiting, a tension that, that our faith is, is, is rigid in power in that tension of hope and waiting. 1 Peter 3.15, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And we have the Holy Spirit who gives us the power and ability to communicate the good news. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 41, 
Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Not everyone accepts the message, even when the Holy Spirit is supernaturally involved because people have free will. But, but, everyone who has accepted Jesus Christ has access to the Holy Spirit to communicate the good news effectively. Everyone does who's accepted Jesus Christ. You do. And we need you. In the fall, all of our ministries are going to start up again. And I've talked to you about the inertia that we must get going again. It started with VBS. We've got a good crew of kids coming. KFC is going to start again in the fall. Camps are going to happen all summer. Youth ministry has already gotten inertia. Have you seen the, the youth worship band? Did you, did you experience the... Yes. Inertia. But it happens with all of us together, exercising the gifts that God has given us, the ability to communicate the good news. We have a message of incredible good news to give to this community. We, it matters that our church is here. It matters that we make this community a better place because of our presence. It matters that we are bringing hope to this community. It matters that we are making Bertha a better place. It matters that we are a church that boldly and clearly proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ in this community. Thank you, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Give us the ability to speak boldly the good news of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.